everybody welcome to pretty scary oh the silence it's deafening don't worry though i will not be alone this entire time although i'd argue you could do a whole lot worse i do solo podcasts all the time and it's great but this week a few minutes from now in fact caitlin cut ever heard of her will be joining me for a fascinating interview with filmmaker mia donovan we'll be talking about her documentary, Mia Donovan's documentary, not Caitlin's. I'm sure she'll make one someday, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. We'll be talking to Mia Donovan about her documentary, Deprogrammed, which tells the story of Mia's stepbrother, Matthew, and what happened when he fell into the hands of notorious cult deprogrammer, Ted Patrick. And Notorious might not even be the right word for that guy. Very complex figure, as you'll see if you watch the documentary or just listen to this podcast. I would suggest you do both. Uh, If you're unfamiliar, Ted Patrick was at the forefront of cult deprogramming in the 70s and 80s, and his methods were highly controversial, like kidnapping controversial. For lack of a better term, Kidnapping is exactly what he would do. If your loved one was in a cult, you called Ted Patrick, he would literally snatch your loved one up off the street, lock them in a room somewhere, and try his very best to talk them out of staying in that cult. And if that sounds extreme, wait until you hear how loose his definition of the word cult was. Sometimes a dude just wants to do yoga and avoid his family, you know? It's nothing to throw a person in a trunk over. But anyway, without further ado, we're going to jump right into our interview with Mia Donovan. Again, talking about her film, Deprogrammed, which you can rent online right now, uh, hopefully coming to a streaming service near you soon. And we start by talking about her stepbrother, Matthew, and the situation that led to her making this documentary. We hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Right. We, um, yeah, yeah, you talk about it in the documentary, obviously, but for the the people listening to the podcast, just run through kind of what happened to Matthew and what sparked your interest in this topic. So when I was in high school in the early 90s, in, in a small town on the east coast of Canada, pretty um, Catholic. Uh, actually, my stepfather was very Baptist, and it was at the sort of the peak of the satanic panic era, where parents were like freaked out about kids listening to heavy metal music, and like this dungeon, this like kind of moral panic over Dungeons and Dragons, and mm. um, kids doing acid and like scribbling 666 and pentagrams in their notebooks and stuff. Like that was my stepbrother. And my stepfather... Basically, like the way I remember it was that my stepfather couldn't control Matthew, his like juvenile delinquent behavior. He was like doing a lot of drugs, stealing, like getting into fights, dropping out of school, just kind of like all this really like kind of like a bad teenager, like kind of gone a little wild. And his cousin had recommended 
Ted Patrick to de- deprogram Matthew because they were convinced he was in a satanic cult and wow. that he was brainwashed somehow by the music or like the group. And it was like, I was 14 at the time. So I, I didn't really understand what was happening. All I knew is that there was all these books around the house about Satanism and cults and like Charles Manson and mm. like all this like stuff was going on. So once my stepfather decided to hire Ted Patrick, this famous deprogrammer, which I believe it cost $10,000. Wow. Um, I believe Ted Patrick's fee at that time was $10,000. So there was some, uh, my stepfather, his brother um, had orchestrated this event where my stepbrother who was at a drug rehabilitation center in Minneapolis, they went to pick him up and they said, we're bringing you to the airport. And on the way to the airport, they said, okay, we're going to stop at the motel so we can get our luggage. And when they, when they got to the motel, they invited Matthew in and then closed the door Mm. and basically locked him in there. And then Ted Patrick sat in front of him and started talking. And they basically held him there for three days. And he was 14 at the time. So he didn't understand what, mind control was or brainwashing or cults really he just didn't really understand what was going on but eventually he figured out that if he started to agree with them like Ted would would like say things like does Satan speak to you in fire that was one thing that Matthew remembers him saying and eventually Matthew said yeah he does and then they would let him have a cigarette or they would like give him like you know they would let him like go for a walk with his uncle or so he started to just learn to play the game until eventually, after the three days, he's just like, yes, I'm brainwashed by Satan. I need help. Can you guys help me? And it, then the deprogramming was considered successful. Came home to our small town and like went on the local news and Ted was Ted Patrick was in our home and he like even went into my bedroom and took away my Stephen King novels because <laughs> he didn't geez. he was taking away all these things that would trigger Matthew back into like the satanic cult. Um, right. He also took away like my Sonic Youth record, which <laughs> the Sonic Youth record Evolve, which is love spelled backwards. Also <laughs> In Excess, my In Excess album, because there's a song called The Devil Inside. Sure. So it was like pretty, Great song. pretty crazy. And right. then three months later, Matthew was just back to his regular self, like getting kicked out of school, doing drugs again. So I grew up just kind of thinking like, okay, Ted Patrick totally took advantage of my stepfather who was desperate to control his son. And then um, later on, I started to just become fascinated with cults and this idea of mind control and brainwashing. And then when I started to do more research on more like typical, let's say, like typical 70s cults, like the Moonies, Children of God, these sort of things, I started to understand that there really was something right there with mind control and thought reform. And, and then I started to question even more how Matthew's story fit into this because it was so different than... Yeah. Kind of like the more, like it just seemed to me like more glaringly obvious that this wasn't a case of, that should have, this it had, the case hadn't been assessed properly in my opinion. So I contacted Ted um, and, and, you incredible. know, to, to talk to him about this and that's sort of how the documentary started. And people who haven't seen the documentary listening to you describe what happened to Matthew probably are right now thinking that this was some sort of isolated incident carried out by right a crazy person when in fact ted patrick was kind of the standard for this type of intervention in the 70s yeah and i and, I, and it, it's it's just it's crazy to me that 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 was that was how we approached the problem of cults i don't think was it's, kidnapping but i i mean i mean mia you know i 
yeah. let me know what you think about this. But, you know, when I, when the, when the documentary started, cause I, you know, Adam had kind of pitched the idea to, you know, to cover this. And I was like, okay, cool. Thinking, I guess it was going to be more about your stepbrother and your family situation. And of course, there's a lot of that in there, but I think you do a really wonderful job of setting up the problem of the cult movement in the seventies and you know, what, what kind of real social problem it was for families. And, uh, you do a really good job of also capturing the desperation that these parents felt, um, because their kids were in cults. I mean, at this point in time when Ted Patrick, you know, rose to prominence, you know, frankly, he was at least trying to, I mean, address something that was a real social problem, right? Yeah. When I finally met Ted after, you know, as an adult, all these years later, and after like speaking to all these other people who had been in different cults and had um, different experiences, um, I understand that I believe Ted really believed he could solve these problems. Mm -hmm. I don't think he, I, I don't think he was manipulating desperate parents as much. I, I think he honestly believed, I believe that he honestly believes he can help all these I think that comes through in the documentary. I think you do a good job of that, too. And I I think what's striking to me about him is how much of a cult leader he kind of seems to be like a little bit um, as 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 far as somebody who has complete faith in himself. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like he had charisma. (laughs) Black lightning. Black lightning. I loved that. Yeah. He He sees the world extremely black and white, mm -hmm. which is how most cults. Yeah. kind of like design their 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 groups like it's this really like very much us against the world so ted it's like you're in a cult or you're not um you know like you're either like when i explained to him about where my stepbrother is today and like the aftermath of the deprogramming he was just like oh well we should you know i can deprogram and get him again it just didn't hmm. work the first time uh, wow so he's how did he's, that um how, how did that mm-hmm. make you feel to hear that well, I think it's also, um, we have to keep in mind that Ted's now 86. When mm-hmm. I met him, he was 84. So he was, he's, you know, become like a, a gentle grandpa. And I, I think it's possible he may have some early onset dementia or mm-hmm. Alzheimer's or okay. I'm not quite sure. So he's, he's quite gentle compared to the Ted Patrick that I've seen in archives and that I remember as a kid where I think he was much more um, a zealous in his approach. Um, I, I, I was working towards the point, but I've lost. It's almost, it's almost like we to. called you in the middle of the night and asked you to talk <laughs> to us about something. It's fine. You're doing amazing. No, I, I think um, it's interesting. Yeah. What, one of the things I found really interesting about, I guess, the documentary as a whole is one of the the themes that comes up is people not visiting their families enough. And there's... As like a trigger to make the family concerned? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. And there's the one guy who really did just kind of seem like he wanted to hang out and cook food and meditate and not go see his family. And all these years later, he seems relatively fine. And then there's the guy who almost uh, became a Mooney who kind of credits Ted Patrick with breaking him of that. And his thing was, man, I was never going to see my family. And it, the thing that struck me was how do you, 
tell the difference between a commune and a cult. Like, I don't know how that that seems to be the failing here is that Ted Patrick didn't he just sort of took the family's word for it in terms of what was happening to their child instead of going, okay, I'll look into it. And if you're right that they're in a cult, maybe I'll snatch them up off the street. And uh, yeah, sorry, go on. Oh no, go ahead. I just, I, I, I don't like, how would you well, he uh, says- identify the difference between a, someone legitimately in a cult situation and someone who's just in a commune. Well, he's not an educated guy. I mean, in the in the documentary, he says that he has a PhD in common sense, which is right. always a horrifying thing to hear someone say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I mean, that's Ted's biggest fault is he didn't uh, he didn't understand how to assess the situation. He really did just take the parents' word and he I think he even says it in the cut, the final cut of the documentary where I think I asked him this and he says, you know, like Maybe it's not in that cut, but something to the, that effect, like, um, you know, the parents know their child, so they right. know when they're in a cult, something something like that. Um, whereas somebody like Rick Roth or Steve Hassan, these um, modern exit counselors, which is the intervention, who you would go to for a cult intervention today, you go to an exit counselor. Right. So it, it's an often, Rick Roth told me that, um, every time I say his name, people think I'm talking about the rapper, but it's, it's funny the or the drug dealer. Yeah. I, I actually interviewed him too. And I told my husband like, Oh my God, I'm so excited. I get to interview Rick Ross. And he's like, Whoa. And his reaction really like surprised me. Yeah. I was like, ask him yeah. about lemon pepper chicken wings. And he just started asking me weird. He, start, he started to give me suggestions that made no sense. And I was kind of like going along with it. Cause I was just excited that he was excited. Did you shout Maybach music? <laughs> he did. And I was Probably. like, I was like, yeah, ha, yeah. And then I'm like Googling and I realized like he thinks I'm talking to someone very different than what I'm talking <laughs> to. But I, I'm yeah, like when I was going to interview Rick Ross, yeah. For the shoot, my friends are like, "Wow, you're going to interview yep. Rick Ross." Same. <laughs> I had to kind of like explain who it was, but Rick Ross, the cult exit counselor, he says that out of all the calls that he gets from families who are trying to help their one of their loved loved ones get out of a cult, he only takes about thirty percent of the cases. He says the rest are not cult situations, and he consults them on that. Um, in terms of like, what's the difference? Like during the seventies, I think generally parents freaked out if their kids were in any sort of a group, um, whether it was a legitimate cult or a commune. I think because of Charles Manson, and then later after Jonestown, right? Like the the demand for cult for Ted Patrick was, grew. Like he he had all mm-hmm. these assistants. They were doing so so many jobs. Like after nineteen seventy eight, between nineteen seventy eight and nineteen eighty one, I think was the peak era. Um, cause so many parents were really freaked out. Um, it's like, if you're, I think to determine whether somebody's in a cult or not, it has to do with, um, I mean, there's, it's, it's a fine line cause right. it's, this is, I it's a hard somebody's, question to answer, frankly, yeah. because what's really the difference between a cult yeah. and a religion? You know, there's, there's so many cults that you cover at the beginning of this documentary that are citing the Bible. I mean, yeah. I can't think of a more complicated thing to extricate for somebody, you know? It's really, really hard, and I'm, I'm, I, I've changed my opinion on this a lot over the oh, course no. of making that film, and even today, still, I'll, like, uh, have different opinions, but um, 
it has to do with like your sense of like critical thinking. Like if I think if somebody's in a dangerous cult, they can't make any decisions for themselves. They feel completely mm-hmm. dependent or codependent on the leader or the group and for any decision. And like life just becomes completely like um, they just completely lose their their um, sense of autonomy. There's a that's the word, right? Autonomy. Yep, yeah. that's the word. Um, I don't know what the French word for it is, but you got the right English yeah. word for it. You mentioned a, a phrase earlier in the interview that comes up in the documentary, uh, freedom of thought. And for yeah. all our talk about how Ted Patrick was, like he even talks about how he, I think he says he dropped out in the 10th grade, should have dropped out in the mm-hmm. ninth grade. Right. Uh, he was kind of at the, the forefront of this idea, which is when he was... If uh, correct me if I'm I'm stating this this wrong, but basically his argument for the tactics he used because the I mean if you're getting kidnapped, your argument is going to be, hey, you don't have a right to snatch me up off the sidewalk because I'm in this group. And his argument was, well, once you're in that group, they've stripped your your freedom to think for yourself. So at that point, your right kind of have to kidnap your rights you. to not be kidnapped <laughs> off the sidewalk kind of fly out the window and a lot of people who are much smarter than or not a lot of people but you interview at least two people in the documentary who are uh you could argue much smarter than ted patrick more educated more educated who read that and were like oh shit yeah that makes sense you know you spoke to being you know your your thoughts on this changing and that happened with me just watching the documentary because it that does actually make a little bit of sense. Well, what if somebody had kidnapped people walking up to that mansion in Heaven's Gates? And what it, I mean, truly, like you get to a yeah. point in these situations where they are they are willingly walking into these dangerous spaces. And I think what you do a really great job of me in this documentary is really outlining the problem of free thought more than anything. Um, it's like the problem of evil or the problem. It's it's a religious it's a spiritual consideration that each person has to ultimately make within themselves. And when you're dealing with cults and religions and things like that, there's a really fine line between, you know, to looking at a person and, 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 and knowing that they're saying something that they've put together and it's their thoughts and their actions. And then when you know, someone is just being a robot and that's a really hard thing to articulate, you know? Um, and I think, he just kind of was taking a blunt instrument to both of those things at the same time, it sounds like. Yeah, like Ted would use the word a psychologically kidnapped. I love that and, term. I thought it was great. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like there, it, it's a hard thing to really, you know, because you could say, um, well, the, the, the couple, the, the couple that are in the documentary um, that wrote the book Snapping. Yep. I love them. They talk about, like, they're advocates for the release of, one of the Manson women because of how she was, you know, like they, they, they've been testifying on her behalf as um, a victim of complete thought reform by Charles Manson. And, you know, so it's like, it's, there's just so many different ways to look at it. Like if we as a society really believe in the power of thought reform or mind control, then why can't we apply it to, you know, some of these victims that committed these terrible crimes? You know, like, I mean, there's just so many Right. Implications. Be- because there. We're- so it's, it's complicated and it's so controversial. And one thing Rick, a point that Rick Ross brought up was while he was deprogramming, which his career, he stopped deprogramming in the 80s after being sued for, I think, $3 million by Scientology and going 
bankrupt. Scientology sues so everybody. Doing, <laughs> yeah. They sue everyone. Yeah. They really do. So he stopped doing the involuntary style deprogramming and then moved towards a more like voluntary intervention approach. But he said he had a family that was called him several times crying because they had a son in Waco or in the Branch Davidians (sighs) just before the Waco siege. And he had to turn them down. And it's kind of haunted him because that man and his wife and his child all died in the fire. And he's always thought, like, what if I would have just taken that risk and, you know, gone in there and did like a, a illegal style kidnapped programming he may have saved that person's life and his wife and his child and like so there's there's all these different ways of looking at it but then you have people like dan who was in the yoga yeah uh, the commune yeah commune yeah <laughs> who's his story is so sad like his parents basically spent all their money their family was broken apart just because they were you know it sounds like it was simply like they just didn't appreciate the fact that their son dropped out of school to yeah. meditate and like live in this commune and work at this restaurant. They could and, not, they could not get their know, head around this alternative lifestyle that their son had chosen at all. Right. Yeah. And, and Dan still practices <laughs> meditation with the same group and he still goes on these retreats and he's just like such a sweet guy. And, and he's a medical um, doctor now, right? Like he, he he's went a doctor. He went back to medical school. He does um, holistic approach and traditional Western medicine. Like he's, you know, he's a totally like well balanced, like great person. I think um, was just very open to these new ideas at that time. Like when people weren't today, nobody would. Very few parents would freak out if you start meditating and doing yoga. But right. back then, I think it was just this time in history that um, where young people were really trying to live a different lifestyle than their parents. And I think there was it was probably easy for parents to just like get caught up in the moral panic of their kids, like becoming like a Manson family girl or, you know, sure. Well, and like, I think there was just a lot of, there was a a whole panic at the time. So even though deprogramming was always illegal, the seventies, it was always, it's always been illegal to kidnap adults. (laughs) Good. Juries and courts would sympathize with the parents back then. Sure. Until the eighties, basically. Well, you know, one of the things that really, popped into my head while I was watching this documentary and let me know if you know this is making any sense to you Mia but for some reason as you covered these this evolution of I guess we can call it cult culture at the time um, it made me think of Facebook and it made me think of social media and you know when you when you're featuring these stories of people gathering on the corners you know on one on the one side you have the the Moonies and on the other side you have the Hare Krishnas and they're They're all yelling and they're all, you know, yelling about the revelations that they're having. And then you have normal people somewhere in the middle. But then you have this culture of parents who are watching all of this and they don't understand what's going on at all. And their instinct is to kind of it's just becomes a very primal one, which is just screaming at these people like you don't know what you're talking about. And in some cases, these people are in real danger. But it just seems like these cults were springing out of such a radical shift in thinking. And I feel like we're kind we're in the middle of that right now again. And I don't know. What do you what do you think about that? Because, you know, we've got Nexium popping up now and all these other cults that are starting to pop up again. Should we kidnap Trump supporters? Go. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I think that the vulnerability, like, I think if you... All the 
cult members or former cult members I spoke to who joined these groups, they, um, all the people that appeared in my film, they, they all joined these kind of groups when they were in their, like, I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter what age you are, but they were all very idealistic and they wanted to sure. kind of make a better world. So they're, it's often very smart, idealistic people who, you know, really do believe in humanitarian issues and they, they join for these reasons that are usually like bigger than themselves and they're finding answers. So mm, yeah. you can see that today in like um, different extremist groups that we see popping around, like, uh, like the alt-right or yeah. um, even like the far left, like, you know, like yeah. everybody believes, I think most people believe despite their level of cognitive dissonance with the world or reality that they are embarking on a mission to create a better world, you know? So I think during times of where during vulnerable times or uncertain times, like it makes sense that we're going to see more of these kind of like groups popping up. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. But you know, what's interesting though, to me about, the motivation behind your documentary and where it ends up is that, you know, your brother was not a person that had joined a cult. <laughs> right. So your, all, your yeah. intersection with this is super fascinating to me because you're not telling the story of, a you know, somebody who you love that was absorbed into a cult. And maybe this guy was a little aggressive and trying to get your brother out. This was somebody, your brother was deciding how he was going to make his way in the world. And maybe that wasn't making your family happy. But they get caught up in this satanic panic time and assume that simply because your brother is gravitating towards these dark things that he must be in a cult. So my first question about this is, um, with all this time passed, how do you view your mom and stepdad in, in that decision making period? Do you have any sympathy for them or do you just kind of feel like they were just rushing to conclusions? What do you, I wanna, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Well, when I started, when I had the idea to make this film, my mother and stepfather were no longer, they hadn't been together since I was in high school. Mm -hmm. They actually broke up a few years after this happened. Right. Partly because of this in a weird way. So, you know, 20 years later, I actually went on Facebook, found my stepbrother because I was thinking about it. I was like, whatever, my ex-stepbrother I hadn't seen in years. And... Um, so when I reached out to him, I wasn't even sure if he had been in a cult or not because it had been so long. Like my memories, oh wow! I remembered how, what, what I remembered, but then I was like, well, maybe he was in a shape, like maybe he was in a cult. I don't know. Like I really wasn't sure exactly. Um, and then it's not that I, I mean, I was pretty convinced he was in a cult, but it, I hadn't, ex I wasn't sure. Like yeah. I just, my, I was more like, what, what happened? Like who was this? you know, man, this Ted Patrick that was in her house, like taking away my books. Like, you know, I just kind of wanted to follow up on this and sure. talk to Matthew about it. So then when I actually met him and we talked, I realized like it was even more far off than my memory. It was like, wow, Whoa. that was just like the worst judgment call. Like my stepbrother was, had spent time in a juvenile detention center in New Brunswick where he was being abused. Like all this other stuff happened that was actually the real root cause of his behavior, but he didn't feel comfortable really getting into that for the documentary, which is why once I started filming and I was like, okay, now what do I do? Like I met Ted, um, my stepbrother isn't comfortable really going too deep into this, but this subject's really fascinating. So I went to meet Ted and then 
he shows me all these videos in his garage. And I was like, whoa, like you, because he had actually taped a lot of the deprogramming. Wow. So he let me watch some of them. And I said, well, can I take some of these? Can I contact some of these people? And he said, no, because it's confidential. So then I had to get his secretary, (laughs) his former secretary, Sandra, who's like 80, who's also had been retired for years to help out and call a bunch of people Mm. until people agreed to let me watch the tapes. And then it was like this whole year and a half crazy process out of like 50 people that Sandra called. The people who appear in the film are the ones that said it was okay for me to look at the tapes. So the film sort of like developed that way. Very like um, it, it kind of started with one idea and then ended is more of a survey. I don't want to say survey, but like more like this critique in a sense or exploration of what deprogramming means. How was it successful? Like what were people's experiences? But just really told through the first person experiences of the people I met. And when you watch the film, they're, they're all completely different experiences. Yeah, There's even one guy, Aaron Christ, who's still in a cult after 40 years, after being unsuccessfully deprogrammed three times. So. Ooh. I just tried to kind of like explore the, you know, just like the what what this all means through these people's experiences. And I feel like I learned, like the more I got into it, the more complicated it became and the less certain I was about anything, if that makes sense. Sure. It's just like, it's really, it's really such a complicated thing. My, my, I spoke to a lot of people who didn't want to be filmed either. And my end conclusion is most people would have probably just moved on with their lives naturally. Mm-hmm. The majority, maybe not every, not everyone, but the majority of people who join these extreme groups or these cults or communes as young people probably just moved on. Sure. Eventually, yeah. some would have stayed, and those are the extreme, you know, people like extreme, um, like Aaron Christ. Like some people will just stay for whatever different reasons. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's like such a hard thing. Like, I, if there's nobody's really done a comprehensive like study or follow up on people on the hundreds of people who were actually deprogrammed from cults in the 70s, unfortunately, because there were many deprogrammers, not just Ted Patrick. There was a lot of people that Ted Patrick had deprogrammed went on to become deprogrammers themselves. And really? So wow. That's so cool. I there didn't, was, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. There's this whole like underground kind of movement of this, you know, a, a network of cult deprogrammers that were working across the country in Canada. And, um, so yeah, there, it's like there's this whole movement that really was not documented thoroughly, except people's memoirs, and you know, there's still a lot of these former deprogrammers, or Rick Ross and Steve Hassan were those kind of deprogrammers at one time. Um, at one time, so they they have their experiences, but it's a fascinating history. Yeah, and it's a it's a fascinating documentary. Um, we'll we'll probably wrap it up because it, uh, again, it's so late where you are, and we're sorry about that. Uh, that's fine. Where can, where can people see the documentary right now? And do you know, will it be streaming anywhere like Netflix or anything soon? It was on Netflix. Uh, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure where, where it's available right now in the U S but I think, I believe it's on Amazon, iTunes. Yeah. It's definitely on all of the, all the, all the rental places. So definitely Amazon um, people can see it there. Yeah, right now it's um, unfortunately it's it's not on, it has the license expired on Netflix. I'm not sure. If, I'm hoping it'll get renewed, but we don't know at this moment. Um, 
Do you have so, a, a yeah. website or social media or anything that you want people to visit? Yeah. I'm, um, if my website is I still film.com and you, you can see all my films there. Well, my, my other film and, um, and the film that I have coming up and you know, I have my Instagram, this is Mia Donovan. And I have my website, neadonovan.com. Um, yeah. That's perfect. What, uh, what you're working on a new film. What's what's it about? Uh, it's, it's about this group of political radicals in the South Bronx in 19, in the early, late sixties, early seventies. They were black Panthers, young Lords and former heroin addicts who banded together and took over this hospital to start um, a political drug detoxification unit. All right. To wow. get people off heroin and methadone. And wow. then they learned about acupuncture as a modality to treat withdrawal symptoms. So they came to Montreal and learned acupuncture with an acupuncturist in Montreal because we had the first acupuncture school in North America. Whoa. And then during the 70s, because they were offering political education classes as part of their treatment, uh, the CIA and um, the FBI started monitoring the clinic because they felt they were indoctrinating domestic terrorists. Sure. So eventually the clinic got shut down. And um, so it's, it's, it's about this history and how this acupuncture protocol that they developed is still practiced today. Wow. And, but how this history was sort of like, un, you know, like kind of like unwritten. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm working on. You and have to, you have to let and, us know when this is done. Cause this is like right up our yeah, alley. Yeah. Very, very, very cool. I have several podcasts. I would want to talk about that on. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> yeah, no, let us know. Mia, you like, first of all, you're a trooper talking to us in the middle of the night. And um, I, I really think what you've put together and deprogrammed is very special. And, you know, when you when you say like something's educational, it sounds like it's boring, but it's it's not. It's it's some it's the kind of thing that you want to learn more about. Yeah. And it really adds scope to a time in American history and, you know, North American history uh, that I, I feel like you picked an inroad here that is, is, has not been tapped yet. And it's, it's really, really fascinating. Thank you. I was trying to keep it as um, like sort of unbiased or open. It is. Yeah. You, you did, did a you, really great you job. You did a lovely job. Like true to each, yeah. Yeah. Like true to each person's experience. And so that the audience would, you know, just think more critically of the subject. Well, you complicated it so. in, a, in a great way. So I think, I think, no, I mean, cool. like I, that's, that's always what I hope for when I come away from a documentary is like, yeah. oh, I did not think about that yet. So that you do that in this documentary, you did a really great job. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about it. Yeah. Thanks. I'm, I'm so happy to be talking about it. It's one of my favorite subjects. So. <laughs> Well, you look, go back to editing in French, um, which blows my mind that you can A, edit and then B, edit in French and speak English fluently. Um, I'm a dumb American. (laughs) Most of the the film will be in English, but there's some French in it. Well, I can't Um. even get by a little bit with that. So uh, you're impressive (laughs) to us on multiple levels. So thank you so much uh, for coming on our show. Yeah, I look forward to hearing it. Um, Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. All right. And uh, yeah, we'll... We'll, uh, I'll email you when this is, or email you or message you on Facebook when it's up and we'll tag cool. you and all the things. All okay. right. Thank you so much for have talking to us. Have a great night, Mia. Yeah, Thank have a good you. Night. Bye. Thanks.
All right. Hey. Hey. That was upbeat and fun. Well, it's, you know, the, I personally can't think of a more uh, light, lighter or happier topic than um, saving people from horrible doom and cults. You know, I wanted to get into Reagan and deinstitutionalization and how that kicked off our mass shooting epidemic. I know you did. But we were having so much fun already. Right. And I mean... It's one of your favorite topics. So yeah, I feel like it really I is. feel like if people want to hear more of Adam's ideas on deinstitutionalization and they're out there and drugs and uh, guns, they're they're all out. They're there. out you there. Can find yeah, them. yeah, your 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 lines on those are pretty strong. Yeah, but uh, yeah, people should definitely watch this documentary. It's it's one of yeah. the in terms of she talked about trying to keep it fair, and in terms of that, I think this is one of the best documentaries I've seen in terms of present just sort of presenting both sides of the story and leaving it up to the viewer well, to are, decide how they feel about cults it. are so scary because it's a person it calls into question the mechanisms behind free will in a way that i think really makes people uncomfortable yeah so the first knee-jerk reaction is to believe that people who join cults are stupid um, but Mia said something great that I agree with. It's like typically people that get involved in these situations are highly intelligent and they're trying to right. solve a problem in the world and, yeah. or within themselves or bo- ideally both. Right. And I think that if that's not your goal on a, you know, somewhat regular basis, maybe you're probably not a great human anyway. Like if you're not trying to improve yourself and if you're not yeah. trying to figure out how it is that you float through the world and make it a better place, I already don't have a lot in common with <laughs> with you. Yeah. But there's just definitely a tipping point. Yeah. And I don't think that um, we know what that is. I mean, I, I think that the scary reality of it is, is that it's a tipping point that's different for each person. And um, this desire for parents to save their children from that fate is completely relatable in my mind. You know, I mean. Yeah, I, th- I think she hit on, uh, in the interview, I think she hit on the main problem with ted patrick's approach like i was relieved to hear that the the most prominent person doing it now only takes on 30 percent of the cases people bring to him because that feels like the element that's missing yes you understand the parents concern but also you can't do what ted patrick did and go well parents know their kids not all parents are great parents and not all parents do know their kids enough to know the difference between my son is hanging out at a place doing yoga and cooking food and doesn't want to come home for the holidays. And my son is in a cult. Well, I mean, Hey man, progress is ugly. It's never, it's never pleasant to watch up close. I mean, Oh yeah. Anytime you develop and I'm not defending what he did, but actually maybe I kind of am in a way. It's just to say that I think his intentions were really good. And I think that the threat of people getting sucked into these organizations was very real. There was just no nuance. There was everything was so new. Like everything yeah. about this was so new that he didn't. Yeah, his, his intentions were definitely new in America. Sorry. Very important qualification. Yeah. Like that's big. his his intentions were good, but his execution was very flawed. Yeah. Like there should have been more research into the situation independent of the parents but the story but the root of what i mean you're not wrong but the root of his motivator is fascinating to me because and we see this still it's a really important thing to talk about 
It's this idea that on some level, right and wrong has to do with quote unquote common sense, which which yeah. which is alluding to this thing that seems obvious to certain people that there's a baseline of human decency that is deep down consistent within each person. And I think that that is the most dangerous thought that is out there because once you start thinking that a, that there is this baseline and B that you have a handle on it. That's when you start hurting people always. Right. <laughs> that's, that's always the beginning of a Hitler. I mean, it just is yeah. like, it's, it's the beginning of any dictator mind. It's like, I know what reality is. Everybody else needs to get in line. And in the problem is yeah. that is the underlying foundation of almost every religion yeah exactly that's what i'm saying we know and everyone else doesn't and that was well it's what's more dangerous is we know but this guy knows better right and actually the guy above him knows a little bit better than he does and then the guy so what i'm saying is is that like there's this like deference that begins as these things grow that makes things even more dangerous because you get further and further displaced from your ability to ascertain the truth you agree to certain principles, which means that you generally get it. Right. But where things really start to go wrong is that these organizations begin to put in these gaps of, you you can call a lot of different things, enlightenment, access, levels, whatever you want. But this idea that, uh, yeah, you're smart, you're so smart that you're part of this thing. Good job. But don't, don't think for yourself too much. Like, right. well, let us, let us help you with those other thoughts that you have. That's what we're here for. Right. That's what my job is. I'm going to help you with the other thoughts. That's where things get very fucky. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And yeah, I don't, it just, it, it, I do feel like though, that is like his failure to identify the difference between those groups was his failing. Like that's what, like, especially with what happened, what happened with her stepbrother, like that, like what cult was he in? Like there was no, like there was, there wasn't even a central place he was going to or a person they could identify. Sure. He just took the parents word for it that their son was in a cult and you at least need to make sure there's a cult there. And especially <laughs> but there's if you've, a, there's a program that you're deprogramming from, especially sure. 15 some odd years into doing what you do. Cause that was like one of his last deprogrammings. I disagree. I think people get overly confident. I, I mean, I, I don't, sorry, I don't disagree with the principle that you're highlighting. I'm saying that I don't think that's how people work. I think that people no, that's, and that's the problem. Stop learning. Right. And that's, yeah. that's a problem you see in almost every industry. Yes, correct. People stop learning and it starts hurting people. Sure. And yeah, I mean, I know Ted Patrick's heart was in the right place, but well, that doesn't mean much of the, I mean, it's like what, what Mia was talking about. Like it, yeah. it kind of doesn't matter where your heart is in the beginning. If the end, it's almost like the reverse of the ends justify the means. It's like the backward sentiment yeah. there. Does that make sense? You know, like it doesn't really matter if your intentions were great, but cause the, you know, the path to hell was paved with good intentions. And I, I understand why his interventions worked when they did and why they didn't when they didn't. Because if you look at the the cases in the documentary where him intervening actually helped, like he's asking people these really basic 
questions that somehow they haven't asked themselves. Yeah. Like one of the, the, the people was their, their group was like raising money to send to God. Well, to clarify what you're saying, his tactic was literally to just ask questions. Well, he would I also mean, lock a person in a motel room against their will. Sure. Okay. And sometimes a nuance that you're bringing up. And I, okay. sometimes pull knives on them. Very scary. But the time he pulled the knife, it was because that woman was in a cult that had convinced her she was a spirit. And she said, he put a knife to my throat and said, you are not a spirit. If I cut you with this knife, you will bleed and you will die. Yeah. And he didn't cut her, but that made an impression on her. Yeah, it worked. Like, do you really want to test that fucking faith? Well, and then she later goes on to say the thing that scared her once she really started to open up to him and talk about it was that she was at some protest with her cult leader. And the cult leader says to, I believe it was like a cop or an official, if I tell these people to go jump off of a cliff, they'll do it. Right. And she said, and I thought to myself, wait a minute. Yeah, like, why are you even thinking about that? Why'd you bring up the whole mass suicide sitch? Yeah, and my favorite, they have an act, one of the actual videos of one of the deprogrammings they show. He's talking to a girl who's interviewed in the documentary later, and he goes, so, so God said man should multiply, right? <laughs> And she goes, yeah. And he goes, well, how can man multiply if he doesn't have sex? Because she was in a cult that, like, no one has sex. And she was like, this is getting too heavy for you, man. That's literally what she says. Yeah. so good. And then, like, 20 minutes later, she was like, all right, fuck it. Yeah, this is stupid. So I get why when you're in that situation, what Ted Patrick was doing worked. Yeah, of course. But... And then I get why it doesn't work when it's just a dude doing yoga in Cincinnati. And he's like, look, man, this isn't what you think it is. Yeah, I mean, I think... And at some point, you got to stop kidnapping that guy. Yeah, I mean, third time turns out to not be the charm. I I mean, this last year has been a lot of meditation and, and attempts at yoga for me and a lot of different spiritual experiences. We have Ted Patrick on the phone. He's got some questions for you. Me. I knew yeah. it. But to your point, it's like... I think at this point, if you did call Ted Patrick and he was going to kidnap me, I don't really have doctrine to argue with at the moment. I don't have uh, a leader. I have a practice that I'm trying to work on within myself that's pulling from a bunch of different shit just so I'm like, I got both hands on the wheel with this life situation. That's what I'm literally trying to do. Not trying to save the world. I don't want to be part of revelations. I don't. That's not what I'm going for. What I'm going for is how can I be the most effective version of myself because I acknowledge that I'm part of a system that affects other people. That's all I'm getting at here. Right. It's like my shit affects other people's shit. So if I can at least keep my side of the street clean by doing certain things, that helps. Right. That helps. And then the problem, though, is if you were doing that somewhere far away from your family in the 70s, Ted Patrick would kidnap you. Right. And berate you in a room for three days. Lots of kids left home at that time and left really great loving homes for stupid reasons. But there were also probably kids that left terrible homes. Oh, yeah. That were like, I mean, my favorite Beatles song and did he, is about this. Did he look into that? Like, were these kids getting away from terrible parents who were like, nope, bring them back? That's why I'm saying that the 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 concept of a person who feels like they've got a handle on the planet because they've, quote, got a PhD in common sense is the most dangerous kind of person. 
So regardless of where his intentions are, he's not doubting himself. Yeah. That's the scary part. That's the problem here. When you're not doubting yourself, you're a scary person. Yeah. Yeah. Like nothing is above doubt or question. No. And I would even argue, I mean, I've gotten to a place with myself spiritually where it's like, I don't really know how you can attest to having faith in ever in anything. If you can't also make room for the doubt that's inevitably there for sure. You don't actually have faith because faith is belief in something that's unseen. And by virtue of something being unseen, it also has the possibility of not being there. And you have to acknowledge that you're making some kind of leap. If you're saying you're making a leap, there's a gap. And I think about this shit all day long. This is getting too deep, man. I know, I know, I know. We got to get past not killing people first. We really do. That's what also what she said to him. But we do. She's not wrong about <laughs> She's that. She's not wrong. She's not wrong. She's not wrong. God damn it. That's the whole thing about this documentary. You think you feel one way and then it, you'll hit a point where you're like, ah, they're not wrong though. Yeah. God damn it. Yeah, that's the problem is that logic is not the only truth out there unfortunately i wish it were yeah so but on that really ambiguous and soul searching note we're gonna get out of here go out and do your best everybody yeah go do your best find your path just don't fuck up someone else's day there's a slow moving ford ltd yeah just on the street behind you run they're gonna toss you in the trunk about common sense go the other way absolutely because that common sense has made them a very angry person for some reason (laughs) uh this was a good episode i'm proud of it it was fun i like our work here i feel like we've done good work me too and uh do we have anything to plug just follow me on instagram at caitlin rosecut follow me on twitter uh at bossy matilda and we'll talk I'm going to make it easier for everyone. Just follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Adam Todd Brown. Well, that Todd with one D. You clearly did not create your accounts in between classes at Cal State Long Beach in 2007. I did not go so to college. That's how that happens. If you were asking. You did? So, no. Oh, that's a whole other episode. I have a degree I, I, in I, common sense. And that's how, that's the end of the episode, everybody. Right. Bye, and, everyone. And street knowledge. That's perfect. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. We love you. Oh, we never even said... I thought you were going to do the introduction. But we never... Yeah, it's fine. Isn't that what you said? Yeah. Now we should go out. Yeah. Keep this part. Well, we never said welcome to Pretty Scary. Oh, Pretty Scary Boo! Goodbye, everybody. We love you. Goodbye. (laughs) 